Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my business partner and friend, Kimon Fontakidis, and today we are talking about enterprise sales or from some people might think of as B2B sales, business to business sales. And Kimon, have you changed your idea about how to sell to businesses over the decades you've been in business? Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure. I mean, there's no, uh, you know, that it just comes with experience. I mean, uh, day one, definitely. I mean, there's, okay, this is like a massive, uh, topic to unpack first of all i mean it's like where do you want to tackle this from do you want to start from marketing or actually doing sa- sales when you say sales i mean sales is actually what is like what is sales <laughs> literally start, she just asked the question of what is sales i mean but anyway sales is the is the end it's sort of the end process in on some level uh um you know when you actually can get to somebody to talk to somebody or communicate with somebody about actually buying uh your service or your product it's hard to get to that. And there's very often there's a lot of process that happens before that. You can call that marketing, um, you can call that lead chain, basically marketing, various different forms of marketing. Um, so, I mean, to ask what's changed, like so many things. And then not only my, what I think and the way you sell has changed, but actually the world has changed tremendously. I mean, back when I started out, I mean, you could, you could be very successful by picking up the phone and calling people, basically. And then there was a period that later where you could be very successful by spamming people, by sending people emails. Basically, people open the email, you know. And but now we're 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 getting beyond all that. So I don't know. I haven't answered anything. I've just given. I sort of like put out some sort of vague uh, sort of markers. I think that we can talk around because because it, it, it's it's it's. Uh, it's, it's yeah, not I, as simple as saying one thing has changed over you know over a period of time. <clears throat> that's 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 perfectly reasonable and very sensible observation. That not only have you moved from being a young, inexperienced businessman to a middle-aged, very experienced businessman, but the technologies and uh, culture and what's acceptable has changed in different countries at different paces. But let's let's talk about something. Do, do you see any kind of constants? I, I definitely got some strong views on things that are constant. But do you do you feel like maybe not with you, but in the the world out there, things that were important are important and probably will probably you can never tell the future probably will remain important going forward in the in the difficult challenge of getting enterprises or businesses to buy whatever product or service you provide yeah i mean i think there's only one thing that really matters and i think it's always going to matter i don't think that ai and technological advances are gonna can ever um usurp the uh the personal relationship so um i think it always has been back in the old buddy days with the guys the senior executives playing golf and drinking whiskey and doing that that you know that the back in the old days of what they would call the old days of sales um what that was really doing was they were building relationships there. And then even to move forward to, let's say more, that was maybe less of my generation. That was probably the generation before they were playing a lot more golf and, and, and probably drinking a lot more <laughs> with their, with their, with their, uh, with their clients. But like, so, you know, but even in, in, in my time uh, in, in doing enterprise sales, they're, they're, it's, it's a long game. And, you know, so, and and I think these are constants. I think if you play anything other than a long game and a long game means I'm not going to try to sell you today. I'm just trying to develop a relationship where you get to know you, understand who you are and who your problems are. And then maybe at some point in the short term, medium term, or even the very long term, uh, we can do business together. And maybe we can't. And maybe I'm just going to pay it forward. And the relationship that I have with you may never turn into money, but it'll turn into you pass on or uh, you give me a referral to somebody else. So, but it is all about, I think, fundamentally building relationships and playing the long game. If I had to say the like the, 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 like the fundamental essence, 
of it. And, and, and sorry, let's be very clear here. We're talking about when we say enterprise or B2B sales, we're talking about big ticket, like we're selling big ticket, let's say hundreds of thousands, 50,000, whatever. You're, send, you're, sell, you're, you're spending quite a lot. It's, it's all relative, quite a lot, whatever. But not, you, you know, we're not talking about B2C here. We're not talking about an individual. And I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that with B2C or uh, relationships aren't important either, but I'm just saying that like it's super important in a situation where you want to sell like big ticket items. Uh, you can't expect to just walk in and sell those items just like that, and particularly the million dollar accounts and the multi million dollar accounts. Those things take time. Now, of course, there's people that go in and they do it and they get lucky or they have some incredible, you know, they, they have some incredible product or service that exactly fits the need of somebody that has a big budget. Um, but uh, I think those are the exceptions rather than the rule. And I think the rule to success is relationships and long game. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you on this because I was sitting on a plane just a few days ago. I was sitting next to a guy who was in corporate purchasing for a global top 100 company and one of the biggest companies in the world. And um, I, we started off chatting about how they hire consultants and you know, big sort of accounting companies and whether whether or not they're on the same sort of terms and conditions as other people and shared some experiences there and how the big investment banks sort of always like to refer their favorite lawyers and favorite accountants and so on. And then I sort of steered it around towards translation. And he said, oh, well, the guy who deals with that, yeah, we spend a bucket load on translation, but the guy who deals with that is a few rows behind us. And um, so obviously I sort of pricked up my ears and, you know, investigated. And then as we were getting off the plane, I managed to meet the other guy. And he said, yes, he's heard of Argus Multilingual and uh, we, we didn't get it on price. You know, we were too expensive. And uh, obviously I'd been hoping it was going to have a happier ending than that. Then I said, is, it, well, is there any chance, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, no, um, we've decided now. And corporate purchasing is famous for grinding people down on price. And do you think that once corporate purchasing is in the room, you know, you've kind of lost it. The, the, the point of a relationship is to keep it away from corporate purchasing. And just your shores on, your, the, well, just say what you've got to say on that, please, because I'm curious. No, <laughs> I don't. I think corporate purchasing are the people you need to have relationships with as well. You absolutely have to have relationships in procurement. You, if you're doing your job right in corporate in, in in B2B sales, you have relationships on every different level. And I love how you say the like. I can't help but when you say the front of the plane and the the guy sitting a few rows back. Sorry, was that say I was? Were you just? Is that just a coincidence? Or were you up there in first class? And 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 the poor guy in procurement was way back in the economy. <laughs> no, we, we were we were all in premium economy, and um, uh, the guy was only two rows back. It wasn't. It wasn't okay, okay, okay. This, the, way this, it, this guy, the way you made it sound, I was just wondering. Oh, there, sorry, there, the, the the lower class. But but I wanted to say, so, I imagine anyway. Humble. I imagine. I, no, but I imagine break. it's really interesting because I actually imagined, and this makes sense that this guy could have been like management, like maybe C level or maybe like a senior director or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, and so, it, and, and that really ties in with what I was trying to say about every level, like knowing that the, the, the guys, the bosses of the, uh, the bosses of the bosses of the people that make the decision, the people that make decision, the people that actually work below the people that make the decision, you need to be, if you're doing uh, B2B sales, you need to be all over the mat. You need to cover it all. You have to have coverage on all of those points. And mm. uh, you absolutely, relationships matter in procurement hugely because they don't, all these people are making decisions. Um, yes, they will look at numbers. So you'll have a metric like a price or something like that. But market is market and prices are going to be, or prices are not going to, like once you get to big, sort of like bigger things, prices aren't going to vary that much ultimately. Um, and you know, and if they do, you should you should you should wonder, you know. I mean, and, and most procurement don't take the cheapest; they don't take the most expensive. They take what's in the middle. That's good. They 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 usually knock off the the outliers. So so I really do think that actually it comes down to something beyond price. It's going to come down to, and so I have no idea actually what relationship you're talking to specifically on the on this in this particular case. But I'd be willing to bet that we didn't have a relationship there. And just because we're they've heard of us and we're one of the companies that were included in the there's different waves of these um, of these uh, processes. In fact, that's that's a, that's a really like I used to have a uh, policy that I don't go into these and these are RFPs that you're talking about here. Procurement sets out RFPs. I don't know to what extent we need to 
dumbed down or whatever. But anyway, RFPs are requests for proposal. And that's what these big corporations do. They send out a gigantic Excel sheet or something where you have to populate it with a ton of information about you, your company, your financial history, your uh, technology, all this stuff you have to populate, and then, then you have to break down the price. And, and so and then they make the, they, they take all this data and then they try to make decisions uh, based on that. And um, you know, I'm just gonna say, so I used to always say that if we don't have, if we don't know the procurement people personally, I don't want to do it. I like, I literally don't want to be in that uh, because it takes us a lot of time to prepare these RFPs. And I don't even want to spend that time if I don't know the people at the table, you know, um, and this, that, this, this, know, is, this and, is such an this is such an important point, and I think to people listening, this is incredibly valuable because when you're inexperienced, you don't realize that quite often mm-hmm. the reason you've been asked is they have a policy, they have to have three quotes, they already know who they want to do business with, and you're just being you're being put in a ton of ton of work with no real prospect of getting the job whatsoever. And what what I used absolutely. to do back in the what I used to do back in the day would be to insist that if we got a lead like that, I'd say just call call up the person who sent it. And if they don't have time to talk to us, we're not going to bid at all. If they, if it is that situation, just ask the question: Do we have a reasonable? Do we have any chance? A reasonable chance of getting this? And um, just have an honest conversation and say, "Well, that's know, not, not enough, in my opinion. That's no, too that, late. I'm not interested. No, no, no. Like, honestly, cross it off my list. I'm not interested. No, but, if you're on the uh, point uh, where uh, I need to call up and see uh, and find out, I'm just saying this is my personal opinion. Off the list, mm. like whatever. And, uh, you know." Uh, 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 Anyway, I mean, obviously, there's more than one right answer. But what I'd say is that if we didn't have a prior relationship, and they, they, I'd say, well, well, we'll we'll give you a one-page budgetary quote. This will cost you about three hundred twenty thousand euros, and just to be useful for them, just to be friendly, but not not put in a detailed proposal. I think it may be a different vendor vendor qualification where you have to fill in all the excels and give you a whole corporate history is something that you have, sometimes you have to do, but that should be later in the stage. That shouldn't be first stage. That's when when you know you've got a chance, I think. Kim is yeah. shaking her head. You have to give minutes. out no, you have to give out you have to give out uh in the big in the big uh in, on the big RFPs you have to start by they want to know they they want to they're, they're weighing a lot of different things they want to do your business stability they want to know your financial like how much of their budget would it be would it, it would be putting their business at risk to give too much is it are they going to be a big client or a small client they want to know um they really they really do weigh take all this ridiculous amount of information up front and it is a very and and the, and if you were just to say no i'm just going to give you some brief they won't take it they're not interested they need to have the, their Excel filled out, as you said, and this is, you said it right. They have to have this Excel filled out 10 times. That's the problem. They need 10, they need 10 companies to fill out this Excel so that they can say we've completed the process correctly. And that's, that's the problem is that you're just part of a process. You're not really, you don't really have any chance. So, so if you call them up, they're going to say, yeah, they're in incentivize and say oh of course you've got a chance it's great because they want you to fill out they want you to <laughs> they want you to check the mm. box that you're you're one of the suckers that filled out mm. all this information when you when they are as you said they want to hire the three incumbents back and now listen a lot of people would disagree with me and rightly so it, honestly if you have the sales capacity and the bandwidth you should go in there and fight for these for for these things and try to go in as the complete outsider and try to get to the point where you can make up because you know if you can get past stage one there's a process stage one they'll look at the initial bids then you'll actually get a chance to pitch to them if you can get to the pitch stage even if you're the dark horse that nobody knows who you are maybe there's a way to go through it but for me again I, when I was uh, running the company or uh, the companies I was always it was small, like the team was small. Again, we had to stay focused. So like you couldn't do it. You couldn't, you just couldn't, we just did not have the bandwidth to chase every one of these down. It, it, but I do think with, with a bigger company, like now, uh, I'm not running Argos, but I think now Argos is clearly at the size where it can go after these, like, like they, it has the capacity to go after and should actually go after because you'll get your name in there in the procurement room for the next, uh, maybe for the next round, the round again. We're playing the long game. We're always playing yeah. the long game here. So, so, <clears throat> so you've made a, you've made a couple of points. Uh, one earlier, which I didn't comment on, and, and one that's just uh, uh, occurred to me now, which is um, the first point is like you said, knowing 
everything about the organization. I used to call it mapping the DMU, mapping the decision-making unit, that you really need to understand how an enterprise takes a decision, like how many signatures, who's going to be consulted, because it's very, for bigger projects, it's almost never just one person. You need to understand whose decision, who, sometimes you get a technical opinion, a financial opinion, someone, maybe if it's a good company, sometimes the users of whatever you're selling have to be asked as well. So understanding who's going to be involved, trying to understand that is vital. The other thing is, and coming back to this phone call, which I still would argue is a good idea if you can get, if you can, if you can't get on the phone to them, that's a bad sign as well, because often there'll be a point of contact is just asking the question, why did you ask us? Why did you ask us? Because sometimes there's a reason which is a really good green flag as opposed to a red flag. And a, a good situation can be sometimes to someone, a new boss has come in, a new person's in the role, and they're reviewing all the cozy relationships that have existed that has resulted in the previous vendor being embedded in the process. And sometimes if you discover there's a new boss who's, who's a bit suspicious, why is this so expensive? Why, why are we always using these people? That might give you a chance to get your foot in the door in a way that wouldn't normally be the case. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get into an argument. No, I no, because I just no, because I just don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that uh, that's. I just don't think it's realistic. I, I think that they're going to. Um, I don't think you're ever going to get that information on a call that they're going to tell you that there's a new uh, manager in place that's reviewing the cozy relationships. And, and if they do tell it like that, I'd also be very suspicious that they just want to get me on. Um, to get me on the list. I, I'm sticking to my guns. I think you're better off uh, actually, it's like what you, like basically having a personal relationship, knowing these people from before, before you get invited to this process, you actually have talked, you know the people that are on the committee, at least one of them. You don't have necessarily have to have the decision maker, but you know, you actually personally have met somebody in that procurement team that's working on this, that, you know, you can, you, you can, then you can have a sort of higher level of confidence that, that, that you legitimately have a chance. Um, what you did say, though, that I completely agree with, that is actually the, 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 in my opinion, the place where a lot of companies fall down on their faces and surprisingly experienced salespeople still don't do this well. It's mapping the client. It's, they, they, there's a huge value in really identifying and trying to understand who all the players are in an organization. And even more importantly, like, how can you, because, you know, we're selling in big companies and there's been, you know, and, and sorry, we, I'm just, I'm just imagining you're, if you're selling to big companies, there's acquisitions, there's all kinds of other departments, other divisions that aren't under the same fold of that one procurement that you're dealing with. And so understanding that's like, I'm not even taking the mapping further, like mapping clearly for your specific account. It's important, but really good mapping is going to take that even further than that and go deeper into the organization and find out what other parts of this organization could we potentially serve? What are the connections between the people I know? I've been on LinkedIn. What are the connections with the people I know in my unit that I'm selling to that know, you know, people in some other unit that I could potentially sell to that I could get a referral? So that's like trying to do a really comprehensive um, a mapping, I think is like a super valuable thing. And, and, you know, and this maybe can lead into, I'm not sure what we're kind of cover with them with this topic. We're definitely not going <laughs> to, we're definitely not going to cover much in an hour, but like, I was going to say lead into, uh, um, you know, uh, cold, uh, referrals. I think an, an additional point here is like, simply understanding that the person you're talking to isn't necessarily the only person involved and that things change and these big companies they're always having restructurings reorganizations things can change and change and change and if you've got a good relationship with the guy you know or the woman you know they may tell you, oh by the way we've got a process improvement consultancy and looking at everything so it wouldn't be a bad idea they, they may share information that will give you and give you the chance to react that's changed that's coming on the other side the other thing is that i've noticed particularly where you've got a good relationship with an existing person sometimes your existing person in the client side will say oh just send me a quick a quick offer for this because i need an extension or whatever and i always used to say be quite careful that remember that although from their point of view that's enough there may be other people in the organization that person's boss or someone from another department who has no idea who we are so you know they may just want a quick one page one page summary yeah we can do an extra 50 days at you know whatever x 
pee per hour or per day, but someone else might not know who you are and think, why are we taking big decisions on such a flimsy basis? So you have to have just being aware that there's more, there may be more people involved on the client side than you know about, and that that may change is extremely important. And now, now Kim, you, you said, let's, uh, let's uh, consider lead gen or referrals and can and by the way what do you mean by lead gen and what do you mean by referral just before you start sh- well, wait, I, I think we need to just tie up this thing and maybe lead into that so let, let's just like basically what i said is like this idea of relationships and, and having them and, and 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 then i think the other so i think people buy on emotion mostly and comfort and um and i think that once there I'm a strong believer in like the lifetime value of the client actually having that, like trying to get as much out of a relationship as you can, because like, if you can then get a referral from that person, that lead will be, if you have a very happy client and they refer you to somebody else, that lead is is a lot more valuable than a lot of other leads you can possibly generate. So I do think that that's, that's why mining your relationships uh and that's when i talked about when we talked about the mapping i mean in a lot of ways that's just mining your your relationships how can i take these relationships that i have and how can i extend them and 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 get them to go further so i think that that's i think that that's like a fundamental thing that it's easier to sell to your clients it's easier to sell to people that you know it's easier to sell to people that trust you and it's easier to sell to people that you haven't even sold to yet but that you've you've worked on for over a period of time, you've met them multiple times and you've developed what I keep calling this relationship. It's going to be way, so, you know, you really want to work within this group of people. So then when you ask about lead gen or all these other things, it should all feed into this like relationship machine. Um, uh, so, sorry, your question, but specifically about like, how do you do, like, like what was your, I'm not sure. Exactly no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, you, you mentioned uh, referrals, and try, and I, I think you've used the word. I think just now that I was reflecting on earlier from an earlier podcast that a relationship is is about trust. It's about is two way trust, and the reason why someone might refer you or might choose you over someone else is that you know they know that in the, in the big wide world, you know things can go wrong things can get off schedule and if you've got a trusting relationship with your client and your vendor you will manage the problems as they trust you to solve the problem you've been hard to hard to hard to work on and if there isn't trust then of course they're just going to um i don't know behave differently they're not going to give you a chance to to get things right again if things start to go wrong so and and trust is also about referrals that if you someone a business contact or a friend asks you for a recommendation you're going to recommend the person you trust so i think part of relationship is trust isn't it but there's probably other things than trust in a relationship aren't they kim well you said something really interesting um or you said they got me thinking something that i think is interesting and relevant um which is well, well i i found counterintuitively that one of the best ways to land a long-term client is actually to screw up (laughs) but if you if how you handle a screw up so you were sort of touching on that that you'll get through it and that's actually what that so let so i i've definitely had situations where you have worked hard to get a new client and then the worst thing in the world happens you screw up somehow and maybe big, like a big screw up. Now, how you handle that screw up for this client, obviously the client's not gonna be thrilled you've messed up their work, but if you can demonstrate that you are there for them, you got them through it, you got the thing done for them, you fixed it, you've taken responsibility and you've taken, and you've clearly taken corrective action and, and the way you've handled it, that in very, very often can instill confidence uh in 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 your client and and so i just think that's just an interesting part it's like it's like a relationship it's like you've been through something right with somebody that actually makes a relationship stronger like you don't always have like relationships aren't always good times it's going through the good times and the tough times right and both things make a relationship what it is they make it what 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 is stronger so uh, interestingly enough i'm not saying go out land clients and screw up and show them how awesome you are 
by any means. I'm just trying to say that there's even opportunity in, in the nightmare scenario, because that literally is for any salesperson, the nightmare scenario, because you know it takes so long to land one of these clients when you actually met, met, mess something up uh, you know, in, 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 in delivery. You know, that's literally the nightmare. But I'm saying even in that nightmare scenario, you actually can create sort of like strengthen a relationship, mm-hmm. which actually gives them pay dividends down the line. And and to make the, make this practical and relatable, if you suppose you've got you're you're an entrepreneur founder, or you will be one day listening to this podcast, and you uh, you're in a situation where something's gone wrong, but the company's got five or ten or fifteen or twenty people, so you're still small. If you as the owner founder make clear to all the salespeople, if something goes wrong, I will support you. I will get on the phone or I'll get on a Zoom, go and visit the client to explain that we will not rest until we fixed it. You, you as the founder have to absolutely stand behind your salespeople and get involved as the boss because um, uh, in fact, the CEO or the founder or the managing director very often is the best possible salesperson in the business. And some, some CEOs don't like that, but um, what's, what's your, as a CEO, were you actively involved in the sales scheme? Yes, and you, again, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's an unfair advantage when I'm in there and I can make a decision on the spot for the client. It's just, they just love, like that, that's just a huge, that's a huge, so basically, yes, the, the, I, I think, I personally think that the CEO, like I'm definitely in favor of a client, client-facing CEOs, uh, CEOs who come from a sales sort of background. I think that's really, really important. For multiple reasons, one is just being, I think you need to be, in. if you're the CEO, I think you need to be in front of your clients because you need to understand what their problems are, not only here secondhand through through your salespeople, sales managers and stuff like that. It's just really valuable to actually talk to uh, the, the, your, your clients so you understand your business better. That's one thing. But the other thing is you can actually solve clients' problems fast and you can you can you can cut through red tape and if you if you if you are able to do that again you're just building a relationship like wow like i get to talk like like you know i always felt like we were positioned as sort of a mid-sized company and so it's like we're big enough that we can handle the work but we're small enough that we really just care about your customer service and nothing shows that i care about you when the ceo founder is showing up in wherever place you are in the, in, in all kinds of i've been all over the place basically in all kinds of in all kinds of places, uh, not just mainstream places. I've been to lots of sort of rural and industrial places, uh, showing up, meeting technical, like just people that are not necessarily super, super senior too, but who are our clients and who spend the money and uh, who, you know, that just, that just creates, again, bond, relationship. Wow, these people care about me. They care about my business. Um, all that stuff is good. So yeah, having and 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 all and I don't show me a salesperson that doesn't want to bring. Show me any salesperson that doesn't want to have the CEO around on the call. They do want the CEO there. They know that it makes it better. It's a huge advantage if the CEO comes on my call. Like uh, so, you know. And if if salesperson uh, or, is against it, then I'd be very suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or I'd say if you're working in an organization where you think it might damage your chances to win, if the CEO's in the room, probably ought to be thinking about changing organization. Um, but the oh, or maybe um, the CEO. I mean, that might not be. Yeah, maybe the CEO needs a different. Maybe the CEO really needs to be CFO. Yeah, but like what, what 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 <laughs> I, what I was just going to comment that for for people who are sort of building organizations, smaller companies, this is actually one area where you may have an advantage over bigger competitors. That if 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 you're a ten million euro a year company and the market leaders are hundreds of millions or billions of euro, when you're talking to a customer, it's very unlikely the CEO of a billion dollar company will be in the room with for the same projects that you are. So you, by getting involved as a founder CEO in the sales process that can give you an edge because quite usually the bigger companies have got lots of advantages in terms of brand and reputation and history but the one thing not the one thing one of the things you can differentiate yourself is you know senior executive attention to to the client and the clients like it um provided the company is good um so Perhaps some of the people listening might think that's all very well, but you know, how can we, you know, we're a small company, how can we afford to fly all over the world and yeah, actually physically? Oh, by the way, when you say being involved, do you mean face? Do you actually mean face to face in the office or now in the <laughs> back, day of Zoom? back, back in the old days, back in the so basically, I uh, I basically stepped aside literally in when the pandemic started in 2020, just worked out that way that the CEO who took over. 
from me started just when the pandemic started. So my whole experience being CEO was pre-pandemic. So I didn't have, so yes, the answer is always face-to-face, as often as possible face-to-face, obviously go on calls too, but I would always be, now things have shifted obviously more to online, but I'm like, I'm old school on this. I say the more FaceTime, the more opportunity you have to generate and develop these personal relationships with key stakeholders in potential, you know, in, in potential clients of yours, it's just worth its weight in gold. And so, you know, that's why like conferences are good often because it's efficient. Like there's more, there's going to be more, more, more decision makers possibly in one place. If you can find places where they, where they gather, those are, those are, those are good places to go because then you can schedule meetings and try to, you know, and again, it's not to close the sale. It's to just develop your network of uh, relationships, but it's a long game. I mean, it's, it's a long game. So um, but just, just before we move on to, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, that's one of the reasons that trade events or trade fairs conferences can be, can be an excellent part of the, of, of the sales and marketing process. Um, I, I, but I was alluding to the cost of flying around, getting, getting to see people face to face. And, you know, what, what would you say to someone listening who says that's all very well, but we just can't afford to, you know, we sell internationally where, you know, we're a small business. We can't afford to fly, you know, to the other side of the world to, to meet people face to face because the, the, the numbers don't stack up. I don't know. I, I, I'd have to see the, uh, it depends on, obviously it depends on what you're selling, the, the price of the thing you're selling, the value of the thing you're selling. Um, but I would question why are you selling internationally if you can't afford, like, it's like, like what's your, your home market is not good. Like <laughs> start with your home market where you can get around easily, get a car or a bus and you can get around if, if that's an issue once now, if you're selling internationally, I, you should be able to be charging a premium such that it should be built into the call. In my opinion, you should be building that into your price. Like you need to be able to build a, the, uh, a budget that if you're selling this stuff that you're going to then be able to go out and visit them and, and, and work it and manage it. Now, having said that, if it's not a high value thing, it's probably, if, if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, you want to, you need to have high volume number of clients um, and it's a, it's a lower value thing, then clearly personal relationships is not going to be, you know, personal relationships only matter in a situation where you have concentrated buying. You have 10 clients, you have 20 clients overall as a company. Um, it's worth, then it's worth every, it's worth every, it's worth all your money, any money. Like you, mm. you, you have something wrong with your pricing if you're not able to, if you're not able to travel. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reflecting as you said that there's probably large areas of the world of enterprise business, business sales where things might be different. I have some exporting, you know, slippers or um, beach you know, buck, plastic exactly. buckets, but, but buckets from factories on Alibaba, you know, you may well find that, you know, selling that there are situations where those, those, uh, and, you know, selling to Walmart, possibly there are other things, other things involved and it, this doesn't work for everyone, but let's, let's um, move on to, you mentioned conferences uh, for enterprise sales. What do you think the best ways of generating sales leads and we can talk about marketing and sales i always felt that marketing was the process of getting your organization to the position where it could start uh selling things the what the sales takes over once you've got a lead so marketing is to generate sales leads selling and then the salespeople take over and marketing people tend to hate this and they talk a lot about brand and you know logos and stuff like that but in, if we're talking about lead generation um going to conferences and trade fairs is possibly you know a good way but what what as things stand now in 20, we're recording in 2023 what, what do you think are the the best ways to generate sales leads Kimon? uh well first of all it, it's very hard to be broad it really depends on what you're what you're selling I mean, let's just assume that it's a business to business service of some sort um, yeah, I, I mean, I do think you need to, so like, I'm sticking to my relationship thing and, 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 and it's, it's a matter of finding out where, well, you have to really, really, really start with who are the buyer, who's the buyer, who is actually the person that's actually going to buy my stuff in an organization. What are their job titles? Who are these, where, where what do these people 
what are their actual jobs and what are they actually apart from I, you know, I guarantee you their job isn't to buy my service their job is to do something else basically and buying my service is going to help them do the something else so where, where do the, the 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 people that do exactly what they're with these with these people are, are doing where do they hang out uh what conferences do they go to what do they are they part of communities are there online communities are there sort of uh are there LinkedIn groups? Are there you know, whatever? Where do these? Where can I find these people? I mean, that's that's that that's the number one thing. And so then it, we're back to finding out where these people hang out, and then finding ways to engage with them, and so that you can start developing these uh, personal relationships. Um, and so yeah, there's so I, I don't. I, that's again a very broad answer because I mean, obviously you can use there's all kinds of. Co I mean, content marketing is is really is is probably the best way nowadays to do things to create some very very targeted content that's going to be you know that that can be useful for a specific very niche group of people that you're trying to engage with um i don't think sending out emails spamming and cold calling is uh, a great way to get anything done uh in 2023 <clears throat> but there are some good tools i mean there's you know with linkedin linkedin navigator and uh, you know all the all the marketing automation stuff that's available. There's tons of ways to that this is done now, basically. Mm. I'd, I'd make a couple of comments on that. One is the I, I'd say looking after your existing your existing clients. That there's a concept of quality of quality of revenue, quality of earnings, quality of uh, clients, and spending tons of money looking for new clients if you're not keeping your existing clients is like sort of pouring money into a bath that, pouring water into a bath that has a plug hole out that the, the idea so one thing is like getting really focused on new lead generation if your existing clients aren't coming back year after year after year assuming you're selling something that you can you can sell to them year after year, year after year is a is a big red flag so i think and i think we've had a few people on the podcast over the last year or two who've Reference that the I think it was Nick Sonnenberg. He took over. He said they had great lead generation and great conversion, but people weren't sticking with the organization. They didn't come back. So one thing you can do is just make sure your existing customers are happy. And if you have that relationship that Kima mentioned, then uh, maybe they can be people who can help you generate new new leads. Another thing is certainly in some of the businesses I'm involved in, having a good relationship with the existing clients means that if you do have a lead. You can go to you can go back to your existing clients and say, would you take a reference a reference visit so that you know a new a new potential customer can talk to your existing customers and hear what they think of doing business with you because the voice of the customer is extremely important. Um, and so I'd I'd say I'd say that. So you 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 like these new tools? There's the, the sort of content targeted content marketing and you know I don't know webinars or white papers i mean you have you have to adjust to you just have to adjust to i mean there's so much being thrown at people these days but that's why i'm going back to like the the, the relationship is king i mean if you can actually get out there and get to meet these people you're going to be way ahead because there's so much noise out there even the content marketing is, is a form of noise right it, it's okay the only difference is i'm getting maybe very relevant information <laughs> But I'm still, we're all jockeying for people's attention, right? All the time. Mm. So actually having, um, you know, getting the edge of, of identifying who these people are and getting to meet them. They're, 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 there's just, they're, and you're absolutely right, by the way, of like, build your business based on your existing clients. Like that's like, get one client and then try to build off of that. And what I was sort of referring to before about this mapping, I mean, like, how do I, like, this is a client, they've bought my services, they like my services. Am I able to get referrals from them? Even better, who are these clients' competitors? Let me make a list of their competitors. Let me find out where those competitors hang out. Clearly, if they're a competitor of my client, they should have the same needs of my services uh, that that my client does. And you know, it just there's just logical ways of trying to um, trying to do this. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a grind, and it's about it's about it's really it's it's about relationships. People think that sales. I don't know what people think about sales. But it really is sort of just a grind uh, and get mm -hmm. any, you know, but you do you do need to, you know, you do need to be good at developing, maintaining and managing personal relationships. And, you know, you know at the same time, you need to be trustworthy and 
you need to have a good quality, you know, content, a good, good quality product or whatever it is that you're, you're actually giving to these people. Yeah, and talking about the grind and the process made me reflect on the fact that I, quite, I, I meet a lot of business people and I'm always listening out to those certain sort of danger signals. And if I ask someone, you know, where they get their customers from and they say, oh, our customers come to us, that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting thing. And it always makes me think that probably they're missing out because I always insisted on being proactive when I was running things. I said, look, just because, you know, and particularly for new people who come into the organization, when you're when you're small and you're doing it yourself as, as right at the beginning, then the CEO, the founder is deeply involved in the sales process and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing really hard. But if someone joins when you've already got 10, 20 people, they don't, they don't necessarily remember the grind because they see you've got existing customers and they don't realize how hard it was at the beginning because why, why should they? It's not, they weren't there. And so building in a sort of proactivity into your culture is really important. And Keeman mentioned this thing of looking at looking at competitors. Um, that's one thing. Another quote, they're not necessarily competitors. Though. It's also how many other people or how, how many other organizations have the, have the problem that these people we've just serviced or we've just supplied a solution to have. And so I'd always say, like, you know, think in terms of the application and in terms of the vertical, the industry. And so, you know, if you get, so suppose you get a customer who's an electricity generator, then you think, well, you know, who else, who else in the, who's on the top 10 list of electricity generators in, in the target market and, and systematically work through them. And you can't just sit there and wait for them to come to you. And in my view, if you're ambitious, you have to, you have to think of any way you can to get out in, in front of them. So maybe a few words about mindset. Do you think that sort of proactive approach is right? Because I think over the years, I remember we used to be very keen on telemarketing and outbound sales. And a few years ago, anyway, you were telling me that you'd come around more to the idea of relationships and knowing people rather than cold calling. I mean, we used to call it spray and pray. And I think that's spray a great- and pray. Spray. Can you explain <laughs> what I mean by spray and pray? Because I remember that phrase, but just for our listeners- It's like you- spray, like shh like spray uh, spray means you, you 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 distribute water over a very large surface and you hope that somewhere uh, one of the drops that you sprayed out imagine a hose that you're spraying all over the place you hope that one of these drops that you've sprayed out in all these random directions is going to turn into is going to turn into a sale and so that is not a very basically it's what it is is it's saying it's not a focused approach right like having a focused approach uh is a key and i've yes i've definitely come around to the idea uh, in enterprise sales that less is more i'd actually rather have a smaller sales team in fact um all this is maybe again counterintuitive and a lot of people might just flat out disagree with me they more bigger sales team bigger sales um bigger sales team bigger headache <laughs> like more people to manage uh actually more noise that gets generated into your you, you gotta have a really good really tight. I'm, I'm sure that there's ways of doing it. You have a really tight process, but remember everybody, salespeople are extremely persuasive, right? And they're going to be like, I've got the best. This guy, these guys are awesome. These are guys are going to be huge. And so they're bringing this lead in and they're, they're being persuasive to the production teams that they should spend time and look at this thing because the salesperson can't do everything by themselves. Um, it takes time. And maybe it's not the most valuable use of the time. If the salesperson is doing everything they can to get a commission, to get a sale, they may be less interested in sort of the technical details of the actual project. There's going to be better projects and worse projects, higher margin projects and lower margin projects. So uh, I, I think having a very focused, very small team of doers, not managers, because the other thing that happens is your best salesperson, you put him, make him a sales manager. He has no time to do sales anymore. He has to then manage mediocre salespeople, which is completely stupid. Basically, let the best salespeople sell. So if you have a smaller team of sort of independent, um, uh, talented people that are able to close by themselves, also able to develop relationships, you want sort of like multifaceted people, then uh, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, that I've, I've come around to that basically i've come around to that idea then rather than trying to manage large team and trying to just get you know get as many men like 
make it a numbers game. I I I just don't. That that used to be the that used to be the thought. That used to be like back in the probably in the nineties and maybe early two thousands. It was a numbers game. It's a numbers game. If you get enough people in the funnel, enough you know will drip down to the bottom of the funnel through the process. But I actually think we're past that now. I think it's a quality game uh, more than a numbers game. It's it's not the okay. number of calls. It's the quality of the calls. Yeah, a couple of comments there. One for people listening is it's really and things change over time. And whatever you believe right now, you have to monitor the facts and see what's going on. Keep in touch with other people in our industry. Chat to them. Listen to what's working for them because things can change. And what what works now in twenty three may stop working in twenty five. Although I think there's point about relationships doesn't change but I wanted to ask you mentioned like your great salespeople, and obviously they have to be good at forming and maintaining relationships because we both have uh, in our view said that for the things we do that's very important but beyond the relationship what are the other characteristics of a, a good salesperson bearing in mind that you know absolutely be careful not to let the talented people get promoted to one level above the thing they're really good at that if someone's good at sales what does that mean apart from being good at relationships Believe it or not, it's kind of boring. Uh, people think of sales as like a sexy, cool guy, a cool guy or gal, smiling, personable, and all that stuff. I actually think being well organized is like probably the number one thing. Uh, managing, you know, uh, there's all these. I mean, CRMs are. There's plenty of great technology, great tools for salespeople. Surprisingly, number of salespeople don't use it, but like systematically using your tools uh is gonna is gonna is gonna make you better because you're just gonna be able to like you're gonna be able to process more they're efficiency tools for salespeople. so um uh so i'd say efficiency it's a big part of it is actually efficiency uh and 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 then um you know obviously you have to have the right ad attitude and mindset i mean i do think that like i, I can't speak to every different sales whatever because you know there's different products and different services so you know, they're not all, they're all will not be equal, but I'm sort of referring to sort of the bigger ticket items uh, in a service company, in a B2B service company. And those things are just going to take time. I mean, you're just not going to um, land, you know, you're just not going to spend a little bit of time and land the sale. So if you're not a patient person, if you're not ready to really grind, to just systematically do whatever it takes, uh, then, um, and have the patience that the process is going to work uh, because, you know, I think that's what happens. I think people get, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems we have as a culture these days with all this, whatever tech and all this stuff is patience. I think patience is, I think we are just low on patience. I think we want everything now. We want everything fast and that's just not going to, like you just have to play a long game. Uh, but if you do the right stuff, uh, you know, and you, and you're lucky enough to have a good product and service and a good company, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just, just, it's a grind, and you'll get there. I mean, that's. that's a, and you've meant it. It's, it's, I, I'm just going to quickly comment on that. The, the time needed. This is very, very risky. Important, risky. A huge risk factor for tech startups that are planning to sell B two B. If the people in that organization haven't experienced the long time cycles, the long sales cycle for B two B, it can be. Threat, life threatening they've got enough money to pay two years salary and they imagine the product's going to be ready at the end of year one they'll do some mvps and they'll go out and sell and it can't take more than six months to sell and guess what it can particularly if you're new so being aware that it takes a long time to sell is extremely important but i also wanted to just comment in terms of characteristics of a salesperson 100% agree. People have to just be well organized, you know, answer your emails on time, return phone calls, get proposals in on time, get your technical people involved if they're involved in proposal making, etc. But then the other thing is, I think it's really important to be good at listening and asking questions that understanding, the more you can understand what's going on with your clients the better and you know, the stereotype of the salesperson is they've got the gift of the gab they are slick talker and i think a good a good salesperson has to be a really good listener and not just listen to what the client's saying but the body language look for unconscious biases and not biases well those two but unconscious things they didn't mean to say but they let slip which help you understand more about what they what the what their underlying problems are and 
we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but I think one way of seeing sales is saying that all businesses, when they're selling to other businesses, must be solving some kind of problem. Like, you know, a cafe is solving somewhere to sit or, or thirst. But whatever whatever you're selling, if you the more you understand the problem you're solving for the client or the problems you're solving, the more able, more likely you are to be someone who's valuable to them. Almost you understand their reality better than they do because yeah. you really focus. Sometimes you really focus on the problem they've got, whereas the problem that you're solving is just one of a number of different things they have to worry about. So, to some extent, you may be more of an expert in their problem than they are. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I you, you, now, now I remember what I wanted to say. You, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. That I think what you don't want to be. I think there's two, there's a couple of things that you just don't want to be. I think that one, some of the behaviors that I've seen, the worst behaviors I've seen in salespeople are they rush into a meeting and they want to do the presentation. They want to show people their slide. They want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. Hey, do you want to hear about me and my product and my services? But do you know what? That person couldn't give two shits about you, actually. They care about themselves and their own problems. And so this is really what you're sort of addressing is the fact that if you're not listening, if you're not trying to identify, so you should not be going out there uh, or, or, or another one, like if you're just an order taker, like if you just got the menu, you're just there to take an order. Like that's what, like, is, is that your role as a salesperson to just say, do you want, uh, so what do you want? You want a, a cheeseburger? You want, you want cheese on that? What kind of cheese you want? You know, you, you want some bacon? You don't want bacon. Is that really your job or is your job to help the, the client understand do I need a hamburger or a cheeseburger at all? What what are you hungry? Or <laughs> do you even want to eat? And I think you raised a really important point about not getting a presentation out. And perhaps the single most valuable thing that some of our listeners may get from this conversation is understanding that it's a really, really, really bad idea to start your meeting with a presentation of your company. I used to, I wrote a sales process for a couple of companies I was um, leading or in the management board of where I said, the first thing you do at the start of a, the start of a sales meeting, you thank the client for the fact that they've agreed to see you, make a few pleasant remarks about how you realize they must be busy. You've got some ideas of how you can help them, but why don't they explain why they, wanted to see you in the first place and what the most important things they want to get out of the meeting. And you don't get out your laptop. You don't start showing your corporate history because as Kim has said, people aren't interested in your corporate history. Maybe that will be important later, but if the client, you can get the client talking about their problems and what they want from you within the first minute of the meeting, you get off to a way better start because then if you have a presentation, you can show them the bits of your presentation that are relevant rather than, rather than plow through you know, 10 pages about your business. So be really careful about starting the business in a standard way of presenting your company. And I think there will be a time for that, but it's not what the client wants, what the client wants to hear about. Yeah. I mean, I heard somebody say somewhere that, you know, it's the, you know, you go in there, there's some standard like business protocol that you have to follow. And, and sometimes the clients themselves want the presentation just because it's like what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to go through. And actually, this is very interesting. I don't, we don't have to get into this, but culturally, I've seen huge differences in going to meetings in America and Germany and like different places. Like culturally, actually, the way meetings are run is, is different as well. But what I started to say, I heard somewhere that like the best part, the most important part of the meeting is like the walk out to the parking lot or the walkout, or when they escort you back to the lobby. That's when you can actually, the guard is down, you're no longer talking in the formal thing, and then you can sort of, but these are the things like the really talented people are picking up on, and they're finding the, 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 the let's say, the, when they're when people are most vulnerable or more honest, most honest, and they're they're trying to, you know, get in there, and, and, and but again, every time you can then take them out to lunch, or take them out, this sounds so stupid, or whatever, anything where you can just spend more time, the more time you can spend with your clients, so that they know you on a personal level, that's going to be your, that, at least for me, that, in my experience, that would, that was a huge edge, for me, and it's quite frankly, it doesn't only matter for clients, it actually, in a business, it can matter for employees, it can matter for suppliers, all of the key stakeholders in your business, you should actually manage. We're, like we're sitting here talking about relationships are important for clients, but they're important for everything, quite frankly. Um, yes, yeah, so and taking, I, I think this idea of people's guard being down, this idea that people sort of go into a, they go into a role and in their role, they, they behave in role. But if you can see what they're like 
before they're enrolled or after they're enrolled. Yeah, I've heard journalists say that the best time to ask the most important question is after you put your notepad away and you just say, by the way, by the way, just between, you know, by the way, did you, did you really mean to, did you really mean to do X or Y? And they tell you something that they haven't told you because their guard is down. And a, a good, a, a good example of a guard is down question is like, you know, you know, between you, you know, by the way, do you think we've really got a chance of winning this? You can just say as you're leaving. And the guy will say, you know, actually, you know, it's not looking too good. Or, you know, you're on an insight. You, yeah, I'll probably be, we'll be probably talking to you again. And you can find out extra little snippets of information that you wouldn't get, you wouldn't be able to ask in the formal setting. So, so that's important. Um, I just want to ask you what you think about process and numbers and metrics of things like, do you believe that if you're managing a sales team or you've got a bunch of salespeople, you want to know how many proposals they've made, what their conversion rates are, what how many sales calls they make, how many meetings they have? Because, you know, I've been, I've changed my mind on and off about this, but, you know, sometimes there's a really big sort of issue, a salesman X, you know, isn't making the right number of calls or sales, salesperson Y, you know, isn't having enough face-to-face -face meetings. And, you know, what, what do you look out for if you're trying to judge if someone's a good salesperson? Activity. I mean, there has to be activity. There has to be the right kind of activity. I mean, you know, if, uh, you know, if somebody consistently is getting face-to-face -face meetings, uh, um, but they're not getting sales, then, you know, you need to look at maybe who are they talking to? Like, are they, wh where is it going wrong? But I mean, there's certain activity that we want to see. Uh, but it, quite frankly, I find this all extremely boring. I, I think it's very important. Uh, and, and I'm glad that other people manage it. <laughs> because, uh, you know, because, but I do think, you know, I do think, I do think it's, it's really important. I do think that the CRM, for example, is a really good tool for salespeople. And I think this is the way to sell it to salespeople. I think you need to show them that it gives you efficiency. The flip side of that is once you have them using it, actively, you should be getting a lot of data. And there's no doubt in my mind that that data can be mined to give you a real sense of, you know, direction that people are going, um, see, allow, allow you to help and guide people that may be struggling um, and hopefully help you, give you a good sales pipeline and it allows you to get real insight into what's, what's coming um, down, down, down the path. Quite frankly, though, this is not my level of expertise. So, uh, and, you know, I don't, personally find it that fascinating but I actually I agree that uh that it can be done and it should be done by people I think I'd, I'd, I'd definitely uh say it can be on the list of boring but important but I'd say what one reflection you didn't share which I think is really important it's very obvious to look at the numbers right in terms of how much revenue does someone bring someone's got a sales target they're bringing in they're bringing their sales target Therefore, they're a good they're a good salesperson. I think, particularly as a company matures a bit, it can be quite deceptive that you get people who've been around for a while who are kind of lucky, who can get lucky and privileged. They've got a couple of two or three historic clients that they didn't necessarily land themselves, and they're looking after them perfectly well. But the reason they're hitting their targets is because they've been given something that's relatively easy and cushy to do, which is look after the best customers. And um, or, or if you're a small size, quite often the, the salespeople are also doing what would be called account management, looking after existing accounts. So it's, it's, it's quite often important to look the lid and make sure that you know the people who are doing well aren't really doing well for historic reasons because they're, they, they, they did well a few years ago and now they're kind of coasting. And so thinking about the right way to, you know, what are appropriate ways to motivate and manage and incentivize and um, it basically set goals for your successful salespeople is very important and leads into one more thought a question i've got for you Kim, which is about you know winners and losers that um sometimes sales managers spend an awful lot of time worrying about the people who aren't doing very well trying to bring them up to speed whereas and the people who are doing fine are left well alone and i've often thought well if you can get 10 20 percent more out of the people who are doing well that's a really big impact whereas if you you know if you spend D double the productivity of someone who's doing badly, they're still not going to be that good. And do you think you should be sort of sticking with sticking with the high flyers or trying to bring the, the slow coaches up to speed? I don't know. Depends. That's just, it's a very difficult question to answer. It's going to be case by case dependent if they're high flyers. Um, if they're truly high flyers, then 
I'm not sure what you can do for them, um, you know, other than get them better leads, get them more opportunities to do their thing, basically. I mean, I think that that's the, ba- like, like clearly the best leads should go to the best people. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking. The best lead, the best opportunity should go to the best people. Uh, and, but I, I, at the flip side, I think you should always be trying to develop your town. Now, I, I, and I, I was trying to address that before by saying, I just generally think a smaller group is better because I don't think dealing with it, I'd rather just have a group of self-sufficient high flyers than be trying to train anybody because this is just too hard. I mean, it's just unfortunately to be to, to really be in the top of the in the top of the game. It's 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 there's just not going to be that many of them. So like, it's just find as many of those as you can. And then obviously, you know, I'm not saying don't train people, but I just think it's a you're taking on a big job. Like you you better know what you're doing. I mean, it's because it will be time consuming um, to try to train up top quality. Uh, people, the best people are going to be actually uh, moved from, let's say, production work into sales, in my opinion, because they'll know inside and out, and they're not, not going to come from outside from sales. And this is something maybe you want to talk about. Where do you get the people from? But like, I because like, one thing is to obviously hire the best that's out there, proven best. But then if you want to build your own, I would not be just hiring a good salesperson and try to teach them your product or in service. I'd be hiring somebody in your organization that actually knows your product and service inside and out and has the propensity to, to be a salesperson. Yeah, I, I think that's, let, let's do talk to that. So, I mean, there's a, in, in translation, there are project managers and uh, I know over the years, you said very often the project managers are more important for the customer than the, than the salespeople are. And turning someone who really knows the product well into a salesperson is probably easier than turning a salesperson to somebody who knows the product very well and the customers want those people. But in terms of sourcing sourcing people, hiring salespeople, there are a couple of questions I've got. One is about sort of industry experts. So suppose you sell to, I don't know, the army. Some, there's, there's a certain scale. People think, oh, well, it'd be really good to have an ex-general or someone who used to work in army procurement, someone who knows from the like, from the industry into which you sell, which has the possible issue of are they are they good at sales or do they just know their way around that industry? And then there's the other thing is hiring people from the top table that sometimes there's a sort of awe of or huge respect for people who used to work for the big leaders in your organization. And I've heard it said sometimes that these people who used to work for the market leaders aren't necessarily the right people to hire, although they may be. And so talking to sort of like people from the industry you sell into uh, or people from the top tier, from the brand leaders in your in, in in your industry, what do you think about those places as places to go out and look for talent? Mm, I think you're gonna you're gonna find it a silly answer, I guess. But this actually fits into the relationship bucket as well. I think that you need to go out and get to meet the top salespeople at industry events over time and really identify who who really is like got it because it's not just a name and a CV and a job title that I would get from either a recruiter or LinkedIn or wherever is not enough. I need to see, feel, and touch actually. And, 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 and I do think that, that again, the truth is you're never a great salesperson is never available because they're making too much money. They're never going to come they're, they're, you, 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 When you put out your job ad or whatever, you're never going to get a great salesperson. All the best salesperson are busy selling, making lots of money. basically. So how do you get the really good salespeople? Well, this is what I'm trying to say is identify who these people are, build your relationships with them and then wait <laughs> because what happens is, Companies get bought, private equity comes in, all kinds of different stuff happening. Compensation schemes change, things change, managers change. And what used to be a rosy situation for a talented person can suddenly change. And that's when you need to be opportunistic and jump all over it because, and you need to get those people when you can, because they're not, and they're, you know where they're going to go? They're going to go to the people they trust and the people they know. So it's a good thing that you, you've developed that relationship with them. So that's my opinion about, uh, about that. I mean, I don't think you, there's a general, other than that, you're just interviewing and I mean, I mean I'm not going to try to give tips on like how the best interview questions and the way to, way to assess and how to assess somebody's experience. 
Um, I just don't think, you know, they can come from, uh, I, I think, get uh, definitely in industry is better than out of the industry and definitely more experience is better than less experience um, for sure. But that's about that, that, that's, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, j j just to react to that, I think um, a, a great idea if you're looking for inspiration is if you look to other companies that are successful in the industry or the, the activity that you're in, usually you can find the salespeople of your competitors on LinkedIn and just looking back at what they used to do before they did what they do now can be very thought provoking. Just in giving you ideas of the sort of people who might be might be good at, at sales, because as Kim says, if you're good at sales, you will you will have a job. And very often, salespeople are out there they may not be on LinkedIn, of course. But the the other th the other thing is um, about luck and good fortune and creating a situation in which you can be lucky and changes all going on all the time. And Akimal already mentioned private equity, changes in compensation, mergers and acquisitions. But you can have a situation where someone who is perfectly happy suddenly as a result of the mer merger, their nose is out of joint or they've got a new boss and their new boss is an idiot or they think their new boss is an idiot, even if they're great for some other purposes. So having, you know, being aware of the fact that what wasn't an opportunity yesterday may become an opportunity today just leads into, you know, being aware of staying in touch with people, being aware of what's going on and, you know, maybe having a process for that. So if there's a big change in your industry, what opportunities might that have for getting into an existing client or getting back in touch with your existing clients, no, sorry, getting a new client or getting back to your existing clients and just checking in, you know, are there any changes coming that we ought to be aware of to make sure that, you know, we can keep the business, which all comes back to our kicking off point of relationships. So just to wrap this up, Kim, um, is there anything else you think we ought to add to this or do you think that we've, we've, done, we've done the subject justice? <laughs> <laughs> we've done whatever we, we've done whatever we've done justice i'm not sure the subject is too big as i said i think enterprise sales is we didn't even touch on barely touched on marketing and uh, uh a lot of things actually there's a there's there's a lot of things but i, I think this is a good sort of uh, a, a good start i look forward to to doing more of these fantastic thanks very much indeed <laughs>